Good morning, everyone. Happy to see you all here. And um, on our third Sunday of Advent already, which is kind of a little bit unbelievable. I can't believe where the time went. Let's stand and worship the Lord together by singing these songs about um, our hopeful anticipation of Jesus' birth on earth.
the greatest mystery this world has ever known. You left your majesty to embrace humanity. In us and humbles me to be loved by a God so high. What can I do but thank you? What can I do but give my life to you? Thank you for your singing.
And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in claws and laid him in a manger, because there is no room for them in the inn. Luke 2, verse 6 and 7. This is a remarkable story, in part because of its simplicity. Just a man, a woman, a baby born. No doctors or nurses, no heat lamps or warm towels or blankets. A manger to lay the newborn in. Extremely simple. As humans, we tend to make things complicated. If humans had been in charge of this birth, things would have been different. There would have been a fine hospital with well-trained and well-experienced doctors and nurses. There would have been the latest in medical equipment available. There would have been announcements given to dignitaries all over the world as soon as the baby was delivered. There would have been opportunities made available to the general public to come to Bethlehem and see the baby, who is the Son of God. And likely, there would have been concession stands all along the way by those attempting to make a profit from the event. But God doesn't work that way. God tends to work with and work through simplicity. He knows that it is only through simplicity that we can truly see the greatness of God at work. The wonder, the miraculous, the glory, all get lost in the complications of human trappings. We need simplicity in order to catch the wonder of what God did. Simplicity is a gift given by God. In our preparations for celebrating the birth of Jesus, we need to unwrap and use the gift of simplicity. When we use the gift of simplicity, we will better we will better be able to see the wonder and the glory of God becoming human and living with us. Our preparations for celebrating the birth of Jesus need to be done well, but that doesn't mean they need to be complicated. As we prepare, we need to keep in mind the question, how can I prepare well and yet keep simplicity in mind so I can clearly see and celebrate the amazing thing God did in the Incarnation? Thank you, Amber and Jade. Well, welcome to church this morning. If you would like to grab your bulletin this morning, and let's read the call to worship together. It's from Psalm 105, verses 1 and 2. If you would like to read with me. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. If you would like to bow with me, let's pray as we continue to worship. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for this warm building that we have. And we thank you that we have a pastor to teach us from your word. We just pray that you would have our hearts open as we hear from the scripture this morning, that we would be um, taught and encouraged and that we would worship you through that. Also guide us in our singing and in our prayers and in our giving to you. And we thank you that we have the freedom to do this. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, our scripture reading is going to be from Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read Genesis chapter 3, uh, the entire chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, 
We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl in your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said to the man, uh, sorry, and the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and also take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Thanks, Chris. And thank you, music team, for leading us in singing this morning. Let's just bow our heads and ask God to guide our thoughts as we uh, look into his word. Lord, we, we, we just 
ask, Lord, as we go through this passage, that you would help us to understand what it is you're saying to us. And, uh, Lord, as we go through this, it's probably nothing that all of us don't know already, but, Lord, as we come into the Christmas season, help us to know what it's all about and, and what your purpose is and why you did what you did. And, and help us, Lord, just to get a handle on it so we can truly understand the greatness of the Christmas season. Help me, Lord, to speak your word as it needs to be spoken here this morning. And uh, may it be an encouragement to all. And may you, through your word, uh, feed us and teach us and challenge us this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. The story is told of a um, lady who took her five-year-old son uh, shopping at a large department store during the Christmas season, in the days leading up to Christmas. And so she took her five-year-old son because she knew it would be fun for him to see all the decorations and see the window displays and look at the toys and there's Santa Claus and it would just be a good time for her son. So she went to the mall with him and uh, led him around and dragged him by the hand all over and uh, twice as fast as his little legs could move and he began to fuss and cry and, and clinging to his mother's coat and after a time, she was starting to get frustrated with her son. She kind of scolded him and said, Good heavens, what on earth is the matter with you? I brought you here with me to get into the Christmas spirit. Santa doesn't bring toys to little crybabies. <laughs> but his fussing continued as she tried to find some bargains during the last-minute rush. And finally, she said, I'm not going to take you shopping with me ever again if you don't stop whimpering. And then she noticed his shoes were untied, so she said, oh, maybe it's because your shoes are untied and you're tripping over your laces. Uh, so she knelt down in the aisle there and tied his shoes. And as she knelt down beside him, she happened to look around. And for the first time, she viewed the department store through the eyes of her five-year-old son from his level. And from that position, there were no fancy sparkly decorations <laughs> or table displays or animated toys. From that aisle angle, from his level, all that could be seen was a maze of corridors too high to see over, full of giant stovepipe legs and huge posteriors. And, <laughs> and these mountainous strangers with feet as big as skateboards and were pushing and shoving and bumping and thumping and rushing and crushing all around. And rather than fun, that scene looked absolutely terrifying from that level. So she elected to take her child home and vowed her, to herself to never impose her version of a good time on her young son again. It's a fictitious story, but we see, yeah, we see some humor in it. But as we think about it, we can't help but think, what is it all about? Even though that story is fictitious, that's not unlike what happens in many families uh, every Christmas. And we ask ourselves, really, what is it all about? Why are we doing what we are doing in the name of celebrating Christmas? Celebrating Christmas is important, and I trust we all understand why we are celebrating Christmas. But we're stuck in this societal method of celebrating and all the turmoil that goes with it. And I think because of that, we 
really struggle with keeping our focus on what it really is all about. One more thought I'd like to take you to take away from this fictitious story I told you about, and that is the thought of this mother kneeling down and coming to the level of her little son, in a sense, entering into his world. Keep that thought in your mind over the next couple of weeks and think about how it relates to the birth of Jesus and the meaning to that. I'm going to take a bit of a break from the book of Acts for the Christmas season. And what I'd like to do this Sunday and next Sunday is focus on why Christmas is important. On why Christmas is a big deal. What you're going to hear this morning and next week is nothing new. Um, you've heard it all before. But for the reasons already stated, we need to be reminded of this over and over and over and over again to help us keep our focus where it belongs. So what I'm going to focus on this Sunday and next Sunday is the reason this is important. The reason Christmas is a big deal. So for this Sunday and next, we aren't really going to focus on the sweet little baby in the manger uh, with angels singing softly and the whole soft heavenly light surrounding the whole scene and the wise men kneeling in worship and giving expensive gifts and all that. Not that there's not truth in that, but the problem is when, when that's the focus, the sweet little story is the focus, uh, we miss the point of it all. We see a cute little story and we think, oh, isn't that so sweet? And we feel good and everything is kind of magical and loving and peaceful. And like I said, we miss the point. That moment in history when Jesus was born as a baby was in fact the greatest manifestation of power, of the power of God the world has ever seen next to the resurrection. And if we can see behind the physical realities, behind that baby being born and laid in the manger, if we could see behind that and see it from God's perspective, it was and is more like a commando rescue operation where God came and invaded planet Earth to rescue humanity. It was more like that than that sweet sentimental story of a baby in a manger. We desperately need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. And that's why Christmas is a big deal. So today what I want to do is look at Genesis chapter 3, which was just read. It records for us the entrance of sin into the world. And in so doing, it shows us the fix we are in because of it. And what I want us to see from this is how desperately each one of us needs a Savior. So, Genesis chapter 3 in your Bibles, hope you're still there. It records for us the entrance of sin into the world, and it, like I said, shows us the fix we're in. Genesis chapter 3 is probably one of the saddest and loneliest chapters in the entire Bible. Uh, this chapter is a watershed in the history of mankind. Before the events of this chapter, Adam and Eve lived in perfection. Perfect in body and soul and spirit. They had perfect fellowship with God, had a perfect relationship with God. They had a perfect relationship with each other. 
they lived in a perfect world totally without the effects of evil. And so because of the events of this chapter, this was all changed. And we've been paying for and living with the consequences ever since. And from this chapter, we see the stage set for a savior. And we will see the inescapable need for something to be done to right the situation that went horribly wrong. Something which no human or group of humans can ever do. We need to understand why the world needs a savior if we're going to fully understand the meaning of the incarnation and the birth of Jesus. And we will understand this by looking at the facts that caused our need of a savior that come out here in Genesis chapter 3. Three things that come out here that show us. And first of all, the first thing we see is the sin. That's the first fact here, the sin. First six verses. So to get a full picture of what the scene was, let's go back to chapter 2 just for a bit. God has placed his highest creation, mankind, well at that point just the man, in the Garden of Eden. A special garden that God had prepared and made for mankind. So he put Adam in the garden. Adam named all the animals. God then created Eve from out of Adam's flesh and the two lived together there in the garden. They lived together in perfect innocence. They didn't know evil. Had never experienced evil. They didn't know what it was. It just had perfection. That's all they had. It was a beautiful scene. They were living there in this beautiful garden. Everything was perfect. They had perfect fellowship with God, like I said. Perfect relationship with each other. God had told them the whole garden is for them. All the fruit-bearing trees were for them, for food. Feel free. Eat whatever you want from whatever tree you want. It's all for you. They could enjoy at will, except for one tree right in the middle. The tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. God told them to leave that tree alone. If they ate the fruit of that tree, they would die. That was God's command to them. So that's the scene. Into that scene comes Satan in the form or in the body of a serpent. Uh, apparently before the fall, um, the serpent was a very beautiful creature. Uh, so Satan finds Eve beside the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and starts asking her questions. And in so doing, he plants doubts in her mind about God's goodness and God's fairness and the truth of God's command to not eat of that tree. Satan says to Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat the trees of the trees of the garden? <laughs> well, that was a twist. A lie. <laughs> but Eve set him straight on the command, oh no, we can eat from all the trees, except just this one. Because if they did eat it, they will die. And then the serpent says in verse 4 and 5, you won't die. The reason God doesn't want you to eat this tree, the fruit of this tree, is because he knows if you do, you will become just like him. You're going to know good and evil, just like him. In other words, God is a big meanie who doesn't want you to really enjoy life. He holds you back. He restricts you. He puts restraints on you. Doesn't let you really enjoy everything. He's depriving you of something really good and enjoyable and fun. So Satan, in his words, gives Eve wrong impressions and makes God appear as a tyrant with ulterior motives that are selfish. In verse 6, 
the woman looked at the tree and she liked what she saw. If eating this would make me more knowledgeable and give me something I haven't had the opportunity to enjoy yet, then I want it. And so she took it and she ate. She also gave some to Adam and says who was with her. So seems like he was there the whole time. And he ate also. That tree of knowledge of good and evil, I, I believe, was probably just a tree. I, there was nothing bad or evil about that tree or its fruit. God didn't create anything bad or evil. Everything of God's creation was very good, God pronounced it. It was all very good. So there's nothing bad about that tree. Nothing, I don't think, probably really special about it. The fruit was ordinary fruit, like all the rest. God created mankind, as you know, with a free will. And that means that they would have to have opportunity to exercise that free will. So God gave them a command that required only one thing, just obedience. To see if these humans really would freely choose to obey him or not. So he picked a tree right in the middle of the garden told them, don't eat the fruit from that tree. And then Satan came along and started planting these thoughts in Eve's mind. That God is a bit mean and selfish and holds back on them. God doesn't really want them to enjoy life to the full by denying them the fruit of this tree. And Eve fell for the temptation. Eve didn't eat that fruit because she was hungry. She didn't eat it because she was in need of anything or was lacking anything. She ate it because she doubted God's goodness. And that God had her best in mind. And for that reason, she chose to rebel against God. And Adam did the same thing. It all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? You know why that sounds familiar? Because we've all been there. We've all been there. This could be the personal history of you and I. This happens to each one of us. Satan still uses very much the same methods. And we still fall for it. He comes along and says, did God really say that you shouldn't do that? Seems a little extreme, don't you think? Listen, it doesn't hurt. God is just a big mean. He doesn't want you enjoy, to enjoy life to the full. Uh, he's holding out on you. He just loves bossing people around. And so we look and we like what we see and we have at it. And we fall into the same trap Eve does. It's happened to every one of us. Satan is such a subtle liar. Friends, God is more interested in your happiness and your enjoyment of life than anyone. He created you. He knows the secret of your happiness. He knows that if you break the moral code of the universe and rebel against him, you will never be happy. He knows that. That's why the commands are in the Bible. So that you truly can be happy. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. If anybody that wants you to have a good, fulfilled, happy, abundant life, it's God. He knows what will make for that. But we don't believe him. He put the commands in the Bible so that if you obey him, you can be happy. But we don't believe that. And so we rebel. 
So there's the fact of sin. Eve fell, ate the fruit. Adam ate it as well. They used their free will to rebel against God and go their own way. And that brings us to the next point, the result. Number two, the result, verses 7 through 24. God had warned Adam and Eve of the consequences, dire consequences, of the ate the fruit of that tree. Satan had told them something else. Satan told them that if they ate the fruit, they would be like God. They would be knowledgeable of good and evil. Well, they ate, and they did become knowledgeable of good and evil. And believe me, they wish they never had. Take a look at the results of their sin. First of all, what had God told them back in chapter 2, verse 17? The day that you eat from it, you will surely die. If they ate the fruit of that tree, they would die. What did God mean by that? Apparently, he didn't mean that they would, as soon as they took a bite, they would drop dead physically. Apparently, he didn't mean that because they're still alive. What God meant was that if they disobeyed him and ate the fruit, that would bring sin into his creation and the wages of sin is death. The seed of corruption and death is now in them. And from that moment, they now had death and corruption in them. From that moment, they began to die. Now, with sin in the creation, it's all spoiled. Everything is spoiled. There is now within all of creation the seed of decay and corruption. And that always ends in death. There's now a flaw in the genetic makeup of everything in the world that will lead to the death of everything. There is now a flaw in the moral consciousness of every human passed on from parent to child, generation after generation. It's a hereditary flaw. That flaw is called the sin nature. We are all born with it. We are all powerless to resist it. It's that which causes us to rebel and to sin against God. And it's stronger than any other force in us. God told Adam and Eve some of the results that they would notice immediately as a result of sin now being in God's creation. Verses 7 through 14 of Genesis chapter 3. Let's take time to read those verses. These are the things that are going to happen right now. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more, all, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head, you will bruise him on the heel. 
To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, which I and have eaten from the tree about which I told, commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because you were take, from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she is the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. The Lord God said, Because, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove them out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim, the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So those are the consequences, the more immediate consequences. First of all, there is a change in their relationship with God. Remember before they enjoyed perfect fellowship with God in the garden? And how much they enjoyed each other's company? Kind of like best friends who loved being together. But now that has changed. When they heard God coming, they ran and hid. And only came out of hiding when God called. And when Adam and Eve were asked to explain why they hid, God said, what have you done? And, well, God knew what they did. Obviously, God knows everything. And God knows our sins, friends, but he still requires us to confess our sins. Not that we need to inform him, but we can truly humble ourselves and admit to our sin. And notice how Adam, who spoke first, blamed Eve for his sin. And really blamed God for the sin. Verse, 20, verse 12. And Boy, we have the tendency to do the same thing, don't we? <laughs> well, God, you, you, you created me with these urges. I, I can't help it. <laughs> Eve, in turn, she blames the serpent. It, it's so hard to admit that we have sinned by our own choice and nothing else. We can always find someone to blame, so doing, claim that it isn't really our fault. Those of you who have raised kids or are in the process of raising kids, you hear that a lot, don't you? Was it my fault? It's not my fault. <laughs> Jaden Amber, do you ever say that? <laughs> and I've heard a pile of adults say that too. Wasn't, well, yeah, but I probably shouldn't. But it really wasn't my fault because this and this and this and you know, it wasn't my fault. Oh, yes, it was your fault. <laughs> Anytime I sin, anytime you sin, it is your fault. It is my fault. Yes, I was tempted by outside voices or circumstances, but the choice was fully and completely mine to sin. I did that by my own free will, my own choice. So there was a change in their relationship with God. The second result of the curse which God said would now be on the serpent, on the woman, on the man, on the earth, all the result of sin. So let's look at that curse. Uh, verse 14, from now on the serpent is to be viewed as a violent, despicable creature. 
Uh, before it was beautiful. But from now on it would crawl in the dust and humiliation. Verse 15, from now on there would be a perpetual war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan among men. See that constant fight now between good and evil that we see? It's a result of this. From now on there will be a constant fight between good and evil. Verse 16, from now on the woman will experience pain in childbirth. That last phrase of verse 16 is interesting. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's an interesting phrase. Uh, it perhaps means that she would have a desire. There would be a desire in the woman to rule and dominate. But her husband would rule over her. Whatever it means, it does mean that there would now be a constant power struggle between men and women. All heard, the battle of the sexes. <laughs> that constant power struggle between men and women from now on. That's the result of the curse here. Verses 17 through 19. From now on, man would have to work. A curse on the man here now. He would have to work hard to make a living. Before, he was in the garden. Yeah, he got told to cultivate the garden, but there, it was just a pleasure to do that. There were no pests, there were no diseases, there were no weeds, there were, you know, it was just cultivate the garden. That's all it was. It was a pleasure. It's going to be different now. Thorns and thistles would now grow, making and growing food difficult. What was a joy before will now be a drudgery. He would sweat all his days until he died and returned to the dust. Then verses 22 to 24, they were sent out of the garden, they were kicked out of the garden of Eden, that was their paradise. They were kicked out. They would never be able to enter that garden again. So in summary, the result of their sin was separation from God, which is death in the worst sense. That's actually what the root meaning of death is, separation. When someone dies physically, there's a separation of body from soul or spirit. Spiritual death, separation from your soul from God. That's the root word of death. Separation from God, that's death in the worst sense. And sin has the same result to us as well. Sin breaks fellowship with God and separates us from him, which is the loneliest, most isolated place to be, if you stop and consider it. So that brings us to the third and final point, the need. The need. Man was created in the image of God, remember? So the entrance of sin into the world didn't affect that. We are still created in the image of God. And that means, among a lot of other things, but being created in the image of God means that we have a spiritual dimension that nothing else in creation has. We are created with a capacity, with a capability of fellowship with God. And communion with God. But now as a result of sin, there is a separation that exists between us and God. Fellowship is broken. But because we're created in the image of God, we are never completely fulfilled and happy unless we have full fellowship with God. You see, there's a, there's a deep need in us for a fellowship with God. There's a deep crying need in each of us for that. And until that need is met and fulfilled, there's always an emptiness in us that we can't fill no matter what we do. Many people can't even tell what that emptiness is. But they know it's there. They try all kinds of different things to try to fill that. and 
We look at the world around us, we can see things people are trying to fill that emptiness. The old French philosopher said, or mathematician, well, he was both, but <laughs> Blaise Pascal, he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every person, and until he invades and fills it, nothing satisfies. Stories told of a gaunt, sad-faced man years ago entered the office of Dr. James Hamilton in Manchester, England. And so the doctor kind of asked him, what, what, what's the problem? Are you sick or whatever? And, and he said, I have a mortal malady. He said, I am frightened by the world. He was depressed with life. He couldn't find happiness anywhere. Nothing amused him. Everything seemed dark. And if the doctor couldn't help him, he was going to go kill himself. Well, the doctor told him that he needed to get some humor in his life. To look at the lighter side instead of just focusing on those dark thoughts. And he said, go to the circus tonight. Um, see Grimaldi the clown. He's the funniest man alive. Go see him. He'll, he'll cure you. He'll get you thinking on lighter things, happy things. And, and the man looked at the doctor and said, don't jest with me. I am Grimaldi the clown. How many people who have been imminently successful by our standards have ended their life tragically in suicide? Or died in total depression and frustration and unsatisfied? There is no real satisfaction without a relationship with God to fill that spiritual need within us. But because of our sin, we can't have fellowship with God. It's caused a separation. We can't take our sins away. We can't make it right. There is nothing we can do. We have sinned and it's there. We need someone to take away our sins so we can have fellowship with God. We need someone to pay for our sins as we can't do it for ourselves. We need someone... We need that someone so we can be restored to fellowship with God. Perhaps even more dire than this is that this sin will keep us separated from God for all eternity. When our physical body dies, our soul lives on for eternity, but it will have to be in separation from God for all eternity because of our sin. So we will be sentenced to hell for eternity. It's a place of complete separation from God. And friends, that's the road we are all on. Every one of us, we're all on that road to hell. We have all sinned. We can't change that. We can't get rid of it. It's there. It separates us from God. We're all headed for hell. There's nothing we can do about it. If there's ever going to be any help for us, it has to come from somebody else. Because we can't do it. We need a savior. That's what I want us to see here. We need a savior. Like Job cries out in Job chapter 23 verse 3. Oh that I might know where I might find him. That I might come to his seat. That's a longing for a fellowship with God. Longing for a savior. As another man put it. Oh that someone, man or God, would come and show us God. So friends, that's the deepest need of humanity. That's your deepest need and it's mine. 
This is deeply personal for each one of us. We need a Savior. I need a Savior. It isn't just the wicked world out there that needs a Savior. We can moan and be groan how bad things are out there and how the direction our world is going and the direction our country is going and they need something to save us. Yeah, that's all true. But this is personal. You personally need a Savior because of your personal sin. I personally need a Savior because of my personal sin. I need a Savior. We need a Savior. Desperately need a Savior. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. This verse gives us a hint that there just might be a Savior. <laughs> Where God tells Adam and Eve, or sorry, tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Then he makes a statement that we have to conclude is prophetic. He shall bruise you on the head. He's talking to Satan here. He, that's the seed of the woman. He will bruise you on the head. You will bruise him on the heel. Someone is coming. God says right here, right, right after that first sin happened, God told everyone, someone is coming. Born of a woman who's going to crush Satan and evil. And the implication is take care of the sin in our lives. Isaiah prophesying about this person said he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. Of course God is referring in both of these passages to Jesus Christ, his son. God met our need of a savior in his son, Jesus Christ. He was the seed of the woman that would crush Satan and evil. And that is why, friends, Christmas is so terribly significant to you and I. Because it's the celebration of God coming down to our level to meet our deepest need. That's why Christmas is a big deal. So therefore, as we study this passage, we can clearly see why the world needs a Savior. Why you need a Savior. Why I need a Savior. It's because of the sin. Adam and Eve's story is a perfect picture of you and I. What happened to them has happened to us. We're sinners. The result of that, Again, what happened to them happened to us. We're separated from God because of our sin. We're unable to have fellowship with God that we so desperately need. All headed for hell. No way out that we can, that we can do. And that tells us about the need. The whole world has this need. You and I personally have this need. We need a Savior who will save us from this predicament we're in. Well, the Savior has come. That's what Christmas is a celebration of. That's why Christmas is such a big deal. And that's what we need to celebrate. That's what it's about. So I'm going to leave you hanging here. Next week we will 
In the words of Paul Harvey, it's easy, the rest of the story. And we're going to look at the Savior in more detail that God provided. So let's take our time of silence. And I like us all just to personally come to God in our hearts and say, Lord God, what are you saying to me this morning? What are you saying to me personally that I need to take from this and take home? And make a part of how I celebrate Christmas. I'll give you a few moments. Amen. Music team, please.
Thank you for your singing. 